0: Shallowee driving it toward the back post for Zussi, who puts it back across, and Shelton slots it home! Zussi can have a hit from here, he does, and Graham Zussi re-elect Graham Zussi! knocks it in! The Hungarian assassin has given Sporting KC the lead! It's Russell! There's only one! Johnny Russell! This is the Sporting KC Show. On Sports Radio 810 WHB.
1: Presented by Michelob Ultra. Enjoy a Michelob Ultra today. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And by Casey's own CBD American Shaman. Score yourself free samples of great all-natural CBD products at a CBD American Shaman near you. CBD American Shaman. Everything is better with the feather.
0: Now your host, Nate Buchanan. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you stream your video content, we are glad to have you. We're at the 810 Studios today instead of the uh, the Sporting Kansas City Compass Minerals Performance Center because uh, the, the team's got some downtime, they've got a much-needed bye weekend this coming week. And we have a lot of other soccer stuff to talk about because the United States men's national team is coming to town here in a little bit. We're presented by Michelob Ultra still. No matter where we are, we got the Michelob <laughs> Ultras with us. We'll tell you that much. And I've got Allie Trost with me and Conor McCourt. Allie, how are you?
1: I'm doing well, Nate. I'm uh, I'm really excited for the U.S. men's national team game this uh, this weekend. I'll be in stadium doing some MCing, yeah, which nice. I'm really pumped about. So, yeah. Uh, You'll see me at Children's Mercy Park.
0: Connell, how are you? I'm fantastic. Yeah. Just Do you have any work responsibilities on Sunday at the game? No,
2: I was just going to go and watch as a fan. Yeah. And just kind of hopefully see because look, these are the auditions for the World Cup yeah. squad. So yeah. everyone's going to be out, all guns blazing. I feel it. I mean, we're right in the middle of MLS season, so it's going to be uh, it's going to be competitive for both sides because everyone's trying to get into those teams.
0: Yeah, I um, I'm doing the same thing, taking the family, going as a fan. And just the idea of seeing, you know, Christian Pulisic, just right there, just that name. But if if we get to see Weston McKinney as he's coming back, or Tyler Adams, or, you know, all those names. I mean, there's so many big names, and we should get to watch them all. So that's going to be fun. So coming up on the show, we're going to have a very uh, extensive interview with Grant Wall, uh, Kansas City native, Shawnee Mission East grad, I believe, and uh, one of the best soccer writers in the world. He's been putting out all kinds of content that's relevant to us. MLS rights deals for television coming up next year. That affects all of us and you as, as viewers. The uh, the World Cup bids for the host cities in 2026. He's with the national team right now in Cincinnati, where their the first friendly of this window is tomorrow night. And he's going to be in Kansas City with the national team then as well. So we're going to cover all that stuff with Grant uh, Grant Wall. So, Quickly, guys, before that, we do have to rewind to this uh, pass result for Sporting Kansas City. Sporting Kansas City nil, Vancouver Whitecaps won on the penalty that was won and converted by Cavallini, the, uh, the the number 9 for the Vancouver Whitecaps, Sporting not able to get on the board, missing pretty much every attacking player on their roster with the exception of Johnny Russell in the game. Allie, what did you make of it?
1: Yeah, I, I think Peter Vermees said it best after the game. They just they they didn't have enough, and and I said this on the post game show final whistle. You can listen after every Sporting KC match here on eight ten. But that was just not a game where Sporting could afford to play behind because we know that Vancouver is going to commit to to playing. Very strong and solid defensively. They have the lowest possession from game to game in the in the entire league. So for them to get out ahead in that game and Sporting having to play from behind and trying to break down what was to their credit a very organized defense, that was just a really tough spot to be in, especially with all the guys that they were missing in the attack.
2: Yeah, I felt the same. I mean, look, twenty five minutes into the game was the goal, but it, and obviously you have a long time to go, but it just kind of felt like, oh, here we go know uh, Because after they go one nil up, they have zero intent in attacking. At that point, we have to. We're going to have to break them down. You want It's going to be much tougher. They're going to stay organized and tight at the back. And then plus, when you're missing the array of talent that we're missing anyway, just through injuries, through suspensions, through uh, international call-ups, whatever. It it was tough, and it's a tough loss too. I mean, credit to Vancouver; they came in and kind of done a job. Was I thought Cavallini was a handful all night. Uh, maybe fortunate that they got a penalty we didn't. But sometimes that's just the way it goes. You
0: just had to dust yourself off, and move on to New England. I saw a team that was just out of gas. I mean, we we talked and talked and talked about the seven games in 22 days. It wasn't just the seven games in 22 days. It was those same guys were playing all of those games because everybody's hurt or suspended. And we had talked about it going into the game. Just one loss during that stretch until this game. And falling behind early. I just didn't think they had it in them to – and also the creative ability – Missing Daniel, I think, was huge in that game. He's the kind of guy that in tight spaces with a bunkered in defense we saw can dribble around in the penalty area and maybe win a penalty Mm -hmm. or come up with a goal-scoring chance. No number 9 out there. Johnny Russell kind of trying to do it alone. Um, I just feel like they just finally ran out of gas. They were so gutsy and worked so hard for those Mm -hmm. seven games. They just didn't have much left to give. Now the problem is they're in last place, and we're more than a third of the way, 15 games into the season now. So they got to get right. They've got to recover. These guys need to get away from the game probably for a few days, get everybody as health, that they can get as healthy as possible because they are going to have to crank out some wins if they want to turn this thing around in 2022. We will go ahead and take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk with Grant Wall, and we got a million things to cover with him, and I think you're going to want to hear all of it because it's relevant to us right here in Kansas City. That's right after this on the Sporting Kansas City Show presented by Michelob Ultra.
1: Sporting KC fans take pride in supporting the team both home and away. When flying to away matches to cheer on the team, or anywhere for that matter, check out the Kansas City International Airport's new terminal progress at buildkci.com.
0: And we're back on the Sporting Kansas City show on your home for SKC Soccer Sports Radio eight ten WHB wherever you get your podcast wherever you stream your video content and we are presented as always by the delicious taste of Michelob Ultra it's only worth it if you enjoy it very excited to welcome our next guest to the show and uh, he's a Kansas City native uh, which is always fun as well because it's uh, it's great anytime we're we're proud of a. Uh, of the folks that are that are from that rep our hometown especially ones that do it on a global scale covering the global game and uh, and that man is Grant wall uh, hello grant thanks a lot for joining us how are you man I'm good thanks so much for having me hey so we have a lot um, to cover with you. Uh, On the show today from MLS to international soccer to the U.S. men's national team and much, much more. Uh, But first, I want to give you a chance to kind of promote your content these days. I'm a I'm a regular listener to your podcast. I have recently subscribed to your your uh, written content as well. 'Cause you, you uh I should have done that a long time ago by the way, but you got me with some some news and nuggets about the World Cup bid that we're all excited about here in Kansas City. Uh but but why don't you let our listeners know where they can find all your stuff and, and why they should find all your stuff.
3: Yeah, so all my writing is at Grantwall dot com. And I started my own site nine months ago. And uh, it's been a blast because I negotiated a really nice travel budget uh, with Substack, the platform it's on, and have been on site to cover all 14 U.S. World Cup qualifiers. Uh, Every big U.S. game, including the one this week, uh, I'll be doing a lot of women's stuff, especially during the, the World Cup qualifying tournament on site in July, and then the Women's World Cup next year, Men's World Cup, later this year, I'll be in Qatar, just got my housing set up over there. So uh, we do a lot of stuff on it uh, on my site. And, uh, you know, two interviews a week, Friday, written newsletters and columns, break news and and write a lot of magazine style stories. And what I've learned is that people are going to pay for for something like that. You got to do really, really high level stuff. So I've got Another story coming out soon uh, from a trip I took to Qatar actually in early March where before I covered the soccer at the World Cup in November, I wanted to do a story on migrant workers over there. So I took a little bit of a risk and walked around Doha talking to a bunch of migrant workers at every FIFA hotel in the main part of Doha, asking them about their experience. So that story is coming out and uh, I learned a lot on that process too.
0: Wow, that that's I can't wait to read that. That sounds like an incredible uh, just experience. First of all, it, and it kind of hit me when you said you got your housing lined up. So, what are we? You doing an Airbnb? Like, what do you do when you got to find housing for a long period <laughs> of time in Qatar? You know,
3: I've got a four bedroom house with three of my uh, best friend journalists uh, in the world. Uh, Guillaume Balige, who's kind of the leading. Uh, English-language journalist on Spain and Spanish football, uh, James Horncastle, who's terrific with the athletic, expert on Italian football, and then uh, Raphael Honigstein, uh, who's kind of the top English-language person on German football. So we have a, a house together and uh, really looking forward to a couple of those guys I lived with during the 2010 World Cup in South Africa.
1: So what do four soccer writers, broadcasters do when they're not working?
3: (laughs) The thing is, during a World Cup, it seems like you're always... Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) Um, But I will say, we do have some fun, and it's just, they're great guys, and, um, you know, typically what we do at a World Cup, when it's in June and July, is we have a big Fourth of July party, and I get All-American, and we have people over, because there's not as many games usually during that part of the tournament, but... Obviously, this tournament is in November and December, but I do think we're going to have a Thanksgiving get together mm. early in the tournament.
0: There you go, and 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 maybe uh, some Qatari food. I, I don't know, you know what that <laughs> what that consists of. You're you're going to. We we'll have to have you back on uh, once that all comes around. We're visiting with Grant Wall, and because of all this, we, we, let's get to it because there's a lot of different news to cover. And I'm going to start domestically, and then we'll kind of we'll kind of broaden out from there. The the first thing that you wrote about recently that maybe the three of us in this room are more interested in even than our audience, but I think our audience is interested and in, in, you know, wants to know about this, is the future of broadcasting in Major League Soccer. We're all kind of in limbo right now. Those of us that work in it are kind of wondering what <laughs> what the landscape's going to look like next year. But even the fans as well are wondering, Um, local TV broadcasts, are they going to be a thing of the past? Is it all going to be national stuff? Where is it going to be? And you've had some kind of breaking news on that. And I'm just curious overall what your thoughts are on the future of American broadcasting, especially when it comes to MLS.
3: Yeah, there's a lot to talk about there. And and the MLS rights deal, uh, they had told us the league that we were going to hear something by March, who was going to be part of their next rights deal. And we haven't found out yet. And so there's um, a lot of reporting that I've been doing trying to stay on top of things. And the most interesting part is that Apple uh, had emerged as having real interest uh, in the MLS rights and the the out-of-market package for most of the games that take place in the league – But that's a little up in the air from calls I was making over the last week. So uh, we aren't really sure who's going to get it. If Apple ends up not getting it, uh, I'm being told that there's a decent chance that the existing rights holders may get. Everyone kind of expects Univision to keep some Spanish language rights. But maybe even the current uh, places, ESPN and Fox, may retain some, some linear rights in the next deal. But another big part of uh, the next package is uh, MLS had instructed its team not to sell local rights so that they all end this season as well. And that's you know, a really big question about how that's going to work. Is MLS going to you know, extend with local broadcasters, or are they just going to have national sort of neutral broadcasters for every game?
0: Well, and obviously those of us here that do a local broadcast um, for, for Kansas City, I mean, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, not that anybody cares about my perspective on it, but I've tried to be mindful as a broadcaster um, since the games have been on ESPN Plus that, yeah, you know, I know who's signing my paycheck. I know where I'm working and everything, but this game is going out to a national audience on ESPN Plus. I want to try to at least give a, a, a professional broadcast that, if I am a fan of the other team or I'm a neutral watching the game, I feel like I'm getting a representative broadcast. But at the same time, our biggest goal is to connect with our fan base here in Kansas City because I feel like, and I know you kind of wrote about this, um, Grant, that that's still an area that we need to grow in American soccer is the connection with the local fan bases to their teams. And and I know you've kind of written about this. Is there a concern that if they go away from that, they're going to damage their own local markets a little bit? Do you think there's any chance they they decide to back off of that plan in the short term?
3: You know, it's a real concern from my perspective and a lot of people I'm talking to because I've been traveling around the country over the last three weeks doing work on a project and coming into contact with a lot of local broadcast teams and and fans too who are worried about this because I do think there is an important connection – between fans of a team and the people broadcasting those games um, for the fans of that team. And I do think it's possible to be a home broadcast without being a homer broadcast. And and we all know that there's a line between one and the other. And, you know, I watch a lot of MLS games and and think there's a lot of good local broadcast teams that I'm hoping don't uh, end up not broadcasting in the future because uh, I do think an overly neutral broadcast uh, could really take away from some of the positives that are currently happening around the league. And what's happened in a positive way with MLS in recent years is, you know, local attendance is quite good now at some amazing facilities around the league. And the big problem for MLS has been building a national audience for their national broadcast. They still haven't done that yet. And I would be dismayed, I think, if some of the good things that are happening at the local level, there's fewer, you know, examples of that.
1: Yeah. No, I I, you saying that I've recently started to feel that I'm in about one year now with sporting doing sidelines and like this last game, especially I mean, I was running into fans left and right, just having really meaningful conversations about them, their, their lives, their love of soccer. And it's like to be able to be a a connecting or, you know, one small connecting piece in a fan's experience, I think is is really important for the long-term goals of Major League Soccer. But Grant, you've clearly embraced new media with your website, Substack, podcasting, all of those things to you. What do you imagine the The future of MLS broadcasting through what you think would be the best thing for the league
3: you know it it's I understand all of the the forces in play when it comes to broadcast rights these days, and you know, I do think MLS has been at the forefront of a lot of media trends over the years, and you know they happen to I think have. Uh, pretty good coverage of the league on a regular basis, like, you know, at the MLS site uh, from their national people. And and they have some local people around the league. And then, you know, I go to certain cities uh, in MLS, and and MLS feels major league in those cities. And, And I do think Kansas City is one of those cities that it feels like MLS and the NWSL gets treated it feels major league. You know, there's real coverage, real discussion. Uh, I felt that when I was in Seattle for the CONCACAF final recently. And it's not like that in every MLS market. So I think there's some improvement that, that needs to be done there. But I do think if MLS is going to nationalize stuff when it comes to broadcast, they have to think really hard about who they hire to be the producers for that and run that coverage and then who they hire for the talent and you know i i think they've, they've got to consider having you know the people who are currently doing these these broadcasts well uh, from local markets Grant,
2: ar- ar- around the world you're starting to kind of see at one stage it was you know you don't want any type of a homer broadcast any kind of players that are even involved with uh, the teams that they're calling. But now we're we're starting to kind of see that change. You see in England, you see Jamie Carragher calling Liverpool games. You see Gary Neville calling uh, Magnetic games. Does it does it surprise you that MLS may be thinking the opposite and going national as opposed to keeping it local and uh, keeping the fans engaged with people who are actually in and around their club?
3: Yeah, it surprises me a little bit, but then also you see some of the trends that are taking place. You know, there's a whole studio down in South Florida Mm -hmm. that for all of the USL games and the US Open Cup games in most cases, um, you know, there are broadcasters calling those games from that studio Mm -hmm. there and, and, you know, NWSL games as well. And um, it's just, that's been a trend and obviously uh, a lot of that is being done to save on costs and i do realize that you know producing television broadcasts of games costs a lot of money and and we're seeing even national broadcasters now like fox sports doesn't seem to send its you know broadcasters for a game out on the road to the stadiums much anymore and um, I hope that changes, because I do think it, it limits the uh, how how well you can do a, a broadcast. I've talked to a lot of people who broadcast games for a living, and uh, I understand the need to, to save money, but I hope they don't take it too far in the other direction.
0: Okay, la- last question on this topic, Grant, and then we'll move on. Um, because the 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 goalpost kind of kept getting moved back, or, or whatever you want to call it, the finish line. We, we thought maybe in March we'd hear something. Now it's June, and there's still this news coming out. Do you think there's any chance they scrap this for now and just say, let's stay with the local markets and kick the can down the road, maybe see if we get a a bump, if this national team goes and does well in Qatar and with the momentum of the World Cup coming in four years to the United States, is there any consideration of, yeah, we have this plan, but it's not timing out the way we want it to, so let's knock it down the road a little bit and revisit it down the road?
3: It's possible. I think it's unlikely, though just because some of the things I'm hearing is that the league is already talking to people that might end up running these nationalized broadcasts. Uh, And also this is an idea that goes straight to the top of MLS and they've been talking about for several years now. It goes, you know, all the way up to Don Garber, the MLS commissioner. And this is something that has been a real plan from the league for a while now. And, now it's just about seeing if they execute, because I will say, I mean, like we were already expecting an announcement of this deal a couple of months ago. So things have changed. The landscape is changing. And and I wouldn't say anything with total certainty right now.
0: We're visiting with Grant Wall. OK, Grant, let's let's move on to a, a slightly, uh, I guess, a, a different tangent, but but still somewhat connected. And that is that World Cup I mentioned in 2026. Everybody here in Kansas City uh, that, that's listening to this podcast, anyways, is uh, incredibly uh, anxious to find out if Kansas City is going to be one of those host sites. And this is another one where we thought we'd get this announcement, and we, we it kind of get, gets keeps getting knocked back. And now we're going to get it on June sixteenth. We're told uh, you had some news on it recently. I think at one point you had Kansas City as a as a as a favored. Uh, city, and I think this last tweet I saw from you, an article I read from you, said on the bubble. So, can you just give all of us in Kansas City that are super anxious and nervous about this, where do we stand right now? And get, you know, give us to give it to us straight, like uh, Lloyd Christmas. What are the chances here?
3: You know, it's been really interesting. I've been making a lot of calls around to sources I've got uh, in the U.S., outside the U.S., about this competition between U.S. cities to host World Cup 26 games. And there are 16 cities bidding, and 10 are likely to actually get the games. Now, it's possible that maybe 11 could. um, But what I did after doing all those calls was sort of handicap the 10 cities that, if you ask me, based on what I'm hearing, are going to get games. Um, You know, Kansas City actually hasn't really changed too much. Like, I've had it in my 10 as as getting World Cup games, but basically on the bubble, you know. And some bubble teams like the NCAA tournament get in and some don't. And so, you know, as of right now and and even a month ago when I first did my column uh, on this and I've added things as I pick up stuff along the way, you know, I've got Los Angeles, San Francisco Bay Area, Seattle, Houston, Dallas, Kansas City, Miami, uh, New York, New Jersey, uh, Atlanta, and Philadelphia. And those are my 10 as of right now. And I feel pretty good about that. And I think you've got to have a t- or, you know, some teams or cities in the Midwest that get games. Because I don't really include Houston and Dallas in the Midwest. And there are other cities bidding that I'm hearing are, are unlikely. So Denver, Cincinnati, Nashville. Um, and if you don't have those cities involved, then I think you need something in the Midwest and Kansas city, you know, has a good soccer culture, but also has the hunt family, you know, in Arrowhead stadium or whatever it's called now. And it's, uh, I, I do think, and I've been told that uh, that could really help, sort of the the history that the Hunt family has had with growing soccer in the United States when it comes to getting games.
1: So that's clearly a big positive then, working in uh, Kansas City's favor. But my my next question for you was, in your in your eyes, what is maybe the biggest pro and the biggest con for Kansas City? Because anyone that I talk to about this, I, I always, you know, qualify with, well. I also don't know how they're kind of weighing some of these different um, criteria that they're looking at for these cities, because while Kansas City may knock it out of the park in one area, that may be the lowest thing on the list of, of things that they're looking to kind of really move a city across the finish line in, in getting that bid.
3: Yeah, and, and is a little opaque on, <laughs> on some of its criteria, I've got to be honest. And so the biggest area that we don't know that could have an impact on this stuff is Will they want sort of like pods for the teams uh, in the group stage in particular, which, you know, would then if they do want something like that, if they want to minimize the travel between cities for teams in a very big continent. Because remember, this is being co-hosted also by Canada and Mexico. Then, uh, you know, Seattle and Vancouver may both get uh, games which I think is fairly likely at this point and it, so everything I've been told recently is that it it was a good thing for Seattle that Vancouver got back in the picture up in Canada because that sort of pod system may be valued by by FIFA and that may hurt Denver for example because there's not that many big cities close to Denver um and so I don't know how that would impact Kansas City, I guess, if you have games also in, in Houston and Dallas. Um, but we have to wait and see about that. And then, you know, FIFA looks, as you would expect, at suitability of stadiums. Um, you know, is, it, uh, is the field wide enough for FIFA regulations? And, and it's interesting because Dallas and SoFi Stadium in L.A. are going to have to widen their fields at great expense, but they're, they're willing to do it. To get world cup games so um you know number of hotels things like that in in particular cities and um you get into you know criteria like that
0: uh, we're visiting with uh, grant walls so we'll we'll find out uh hopefully uh they, that that bubble is not burst here in kansas city when the news comes out um let's talk about this national team because we've got them coming to town on Sunday for a friendly against Uruguay, which is a a great matchup to get to watch uh, for those of us that are excited to do so on Sunday. There's a game tomorrow night. We're recording this on on a Tuesday. So tomorrow night in Cincinnati. You're in Cincinnati with the team. um, And I'm curious maybe what's the biggest theme or what stands out to you the most uh, about what's going on with the national team right now as we get ready for their first friendly.
3: You know, there's two big spots on the field where there remain very large questions about personnel and who's going to play there. One of those is center forward. And uh, Haji Wright just got called in after a really good season in Turkey, Uh, was not involved at all in World Cup qualifying, but the number nine position has just been a real problem spot for the U.S. for a very long time, including lately. You know, Ricardo Pepe had a a real audition for it, got off to a good start, hasn't scored a goal for Clever Country now since October. Ouch. Um, and, has, yeah, and has been given this time period, these games off by Greg Berhalter, just to sort of rest up after a really tumultuous season. I still think Pepe's going to be involved with the World Cup team, but he may not be a starter. And so might Jesus Ferreira, mm-hmm. uh, the Dallas uh, player have a, a real option to or a real chance now to win that spot. I think he will have a chance, maybe even ahead of Haji Wright. But it's totally wide open. And then at the other end of the field, Miles Robinson did his Achilles. Very sad story there. Uh, I still think it's unlikely he'll you know be healed in time for the World Cup. Um, and so who's going to audition for that role and get that opportunity? likely to play next to Walker Zimmerman, who's been kind of a rock there in the central defense.
2: With uh, Walker Zimmerman, obviously, Grant, you would think that he would almost have it nailed down at the minute. I was k- kind of thinking one that I ha- kind of have a personal interest in is the center half position. Uh, I support Celtics. So I was watching a lot of Cameron
0: Carter vickers all year. Um, if you can't tell by his accent, <laughs> Grant, uh, <laughs> our buddy Connell is not from Raytown. No. He's uh, a... <laughs> He's from Belfast, so Celtic fan here, but Carter Vickers has played great this year. I mean,
2: there was a lot of journalists and stuff in Scotland Mm -hmm. that were surprised that he wasn't up for the player of the year and stuff in Scotland. So obviously Uh that's caught Greg Berhalter's attention. The only thing I think that kind of would go against him is, is he kind of a bit too similar to Walter Zimmerman? I know that he plays plays more on the right as well. They kind of need a left-sided centre-back, which Carter Vickers can also do. Do you think we there's a chance that we see him in some of these uh, bigger audition games coming up here, or do you think they'll
3: go with people that they've tried and tested already? I fully expect we'll see Carter Vickers in one or more of these games. And some of this depends on how training's gone, though they haven't had that many days of training together yet. But, you know, I, I'm surprised it took this long to get yeah. Carter Vickers into the national team, given how he's played in Scotland. And Uh, He's still a pretty young guy, and so I I think we'll get a chance to see how he could do. Um, You know, and then there's some other players that aren't here, like Chris Richards, who did have some experience playing in the World Cup qualifiers, and he's still recovering from injury. But, um, you know, like, I I think long-term he's viewed as uh, a young, really promising, good ball-playing central defender Um, and I I think he'll be on the World Cup team. And and obviously the caveat with all this stuff is injuries, and unfortunately the U.S. has had more than its share of injuries, so you don't know what's going to happen in the next few months. But um, it is really unfortunate, I think, uh, for Miles Robinson because he and Zimmerman had, I think, been very good together Mm -hmm. uh, during most of qualifying and had established themselves. And, you know, just to have some sort of awful injury like that take – that away for him is is really tough.
1: And Grant, you tweeted the other day that the players on the team, you know, really kind of took that injury hard. Um, You know, if you can just speak on that, and then maybe kind of what else you've gathered being around the team here as as they get set for a really important stretch ahead of uh, the 2022 World Cup.
3: Yeah, it was really interesting here in Cincinnati yesterday because uh, they're providing a lot of media access to the U.S. players, which is really nice. They're bringing in each – player for about 15 minutes in groups of two. And so you can kind of go back and forth between these round tables and several players yesterday talked about, you know, how they responded to Miles Robinson's injury and how they contacted him as soon as they could. And, you know, whether it was Walker Zimmerman or even Aaron Long, maybe especially Aaron Long, a guy who just recovered from an Achilles uh, just injury just like the one Miles Robinson had. And he explained in detail how much he's in touch with Miles Robinson, who he said has lots of questions for him about, you know, different stages of the injury recovery. So I think it's a really good sign for, I mean, it's obviously a terrible injury, but it's a really good sign for the, the culture inside the team that, you know, they care about Miles Robinson as a human being and as their teammate and friend. And Uh, You know, in some cases, these are players he's competing against or was competing against for playing time. But there is a real sense inside this team that um, there is a good culture uh, and there's there's nobody who stands out inside the team as being a bad guy.
2: I mean, it seems like along the back line, I mean, I I don't know how many you could kind of put your all your money on and say that they would definitely play. I'd say Walker Zimmerman and then Anthony Robinson probably as well at uh, left back. But That's Jedi to you. Oh yeah, mm. so, sorry. <laughs> but the right back position, especially with Sergino Des not being in the squad here, do you think that's kind of uh, that's thrown up in the air? Because you've got DeAndre Yedlin down at Miami doing well. You've got Joe Scally also called in, uh, playing well at Gladback this year. And um, Reggie Kennan as well, who's also played there before. Do you think... These positions are up for grabs, or do you think more of them are already you know, nailed down and just kind of uh, going through the motions at the minute?
3: No, I do think there's a competition for sort of the, the number two right-back spot. You know, if Jardino Dust is healthy, he's going to be the guy. Yeah. But, um, you know, DeAndre Yedlin uh, played quite a bit during qualifying, played pretty well, I thought, has experience. You know he played in a World Cup before, which I don't think anybody else on this U.S. team can say, and so there's value in that, and he has become a leader inside the team. Um, and, and Reggie Cannon has been good when called upon. So um, I, I, I'm curious to see where Joe Scally fits in there, and, and whether his ability to play right back and left back might be helpful. Mm-hmm for him potentially making the team. It's it's interesting because Scally's played a number of big games now in the Bundesliga, and yet he still doesn't have a cap yet with the U.S. national team. So I know he's excited to, to finally get that.
0: We're visiting with Grant Wall, and before we wrap things up, one last thing on the international level. Also on Wednesday tomorrow, we've got Scotland versus Ukraine in uh, in one of these World Cup qualifiers. We're still waiting to find out which team is going to end up in the united states group and as a person with both scottish and uh, ukrainian descent um i find myself very torn here grant because on the one hand i think that we all kind of are pulling just for the country of ukraine in general uh let alone their soccer team on the flip side as an american i look at it and say i feel like the ukrainian national team would be a very dangerous team to play in the world cup because they are they are going to be playing for so much more than even just a soccer game. So I'm kind of pulling for Scotland a little bit in this one. What do you think of the storyline of Ukraine, and what do you think of these teams that could still end up in the United States group?
3: I mean, it is an incredible story, Ukraine, and everything that country has gone through, and, and so much of it is way beyond sports and, and a lot more important than sports. And yet, you know, I had... Uh, Nick Ames from the Guardian on my podcast yesterday who's done a lot of reporting recently great reporting on the Ukraine national team and and the players talk about this that like people in Ukraine communicate with them and say you know this is really important what you're doing like we we really want you to qualify for the World Cup and represent us on the world stage and so it's it would be an incredible story if Ukraine could make the World Cup they would be basically everyone around the world their second favorite team and, mm-hmm. and would get a tremendous amount of support, as they should. Um, and they're a good team, too. They've got good players. Yeah. And we've seen examples at, at major club games since the invasion of just these very emotional moments of Ukrainian players uh, getting standing ovations, scoring big goals. Um, so they've got a shot here, but you know, a lot of their players are still from domestic teams and haven't played a heck of a lot. So it's been challenging for them just to get ready for these games. And essentially the U S is going to find out which is its opening game opponent at the world cup over the next week. So first day of the world cup, the U S has the night game and it's going to be either Scotland, Ukraine or Wales. So Scotland and Ukraine play winner plays Wales for the right to go to the world cup. That game's this weekend. And to be honest, all three are pretty good stories. You know, Wales hasn't been to a World Cup since 1958. Scotland hasn't been since 1998. And it would make for an interesting group with England involved, obviously, if you have then Wales or Scotland. Uh, So any of those three, I think, will be an interesting team to have in the U.S.'s group.
0: All right Grant let's uh, let's wrap it up I'll again, uh, once again remind everybody grantwall.com grantwall.com you can get all of his his written content you got to listen to the podcast comes out every uh, you know, twice a week, and there's always just phenomenal content. I'm insanely jealous of the fact that you were able to get Jason Sudeikis on your show. <laughs> By the way, we've been trying no, no, uh, no response. You're, we're not as big time as you, so I had to live vicariously through you when you did that interview. Okay,
1: we got Jason's mom. Okay? Yeah, we did get we, we did got get Mama Sudeikis, mom on the show.
0: So. So we're proud about that. And 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 before we let you go, understand you're also working on a big project that I can't wait to watch which is about the United States-Mexico rivalry. What can you tell us about that, and when uh, When can we start to watch this thing?
3: Yeah, it's a really ambitious project, documentary film. It's, uh, as of now, it's going to be three hours long, over three episodes, uh, on the U.S.-Mexico soccer rivalry and everything that has entailed over the years, both on the field and, and off the field, because there's a lot of off-the-field stuff uh, that's fascinating in terms of uh, the fan bases and identity and you know you can certainly make the argument that the most popular soccer team in the United States is the Mexican national team And so you know all the forces that go into into that so we're doing a ton of interviews right now on both sides of the border uh, with all the main figures over the years from the rivalry and We're going to have to turn it around fairly quickly because uh, it's set to come out in November before the World Cup.
0: Well, we look forward to seeing that. I can't wait to uh, – yeah, that's going to be perfect timing uh, with the World Cup around the corner. Hey, Grant, thank you for uh, giving us so much of your time today, and we look forward to seeing you here in Kansas City over the weekend when you come back home for, uh, for the United States versus Uruguay.
3: Can't wait. Looking forward to
0: it. All right. That is Grant Wall. And, again, I'll remind everybody, go to grantwall.com. That's G-R-A-N-T-W-A-H-L. Don't forget that H. Grantwall.com to get all his content. We'll be back to wrap things up on this edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show right after this. And we're back to wrap things up on this edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show right here on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB, where you get your video content and your podcast as well, presented by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Great conversation, guys, with Grant Wall. I'm going to finish by asking each one thing that you're most excited about seeing at Children's Mercy Park on Sunday. Allie, you're going to be hosting this stuff. You're going to be keeping us all entertained. What are you most, and it could be something involving that. What are you most excited about?
1: Is it selfish of me to say that I'm just really excited about yeah. that? Um, Can you give no.
0: us a sneak peek of what you're gonna be doing? Do you have you gone through a run of show yet or anything? Not
1: yet. That is okay. uh, that'll be coming this week. But I, I think I'm just I you know, for all of us here and a lot of our listeners too who, you know, grew up soccer fans, the US national team, men's and women's, was always like the dream, especially for me as like a little mm-hmm. girl. I wanted to be Mia Ham. I wanted to play on the U.S. Women's National Team. I genuinely thought, like, in 10-year-old Allie's mind, that is what I was going to do. Obviously, I will not be playing on the field, but... Yet. Yet. <laughs> yet. I think that dream is completely <laughs> squashed. But to, to kind of find um, a love of soccer through broadcasting has given me so much in life. And to be a part of this game now in this way is just a dream come true. Being on stage with you, Nate, for the 2019 World Cup down in Power and Light was one of the best experiences and memories that I've ever had. And I just, I know that, you know, being a part of uh, this game on, on Sunday, it's a friendly game. It's just, you know, one match, but it is, uh, it's kind of a pinch me moment. So I'm just trying to soak that all in and enjoy it. And at one of my favorite places, I mean, Children's Mercy Park has truly become, I, I mean, a top three in just places I am genuinely happy to be at. So I'm just, I'm really looking forward to it.
2: Well, it's the national stage, so you deserve it. But just don't forget us. when. Oh, I, when I know you're what you're looking when forward when you to, it. Connell. <laughs> What's that? CCV, baby. Yeah. I am. I am indeed. Can, know, I, can
0: I back you up on that for a second? Because you're gonna, you're going to come. I'm a Celtic homer, too, though. I'm actually, I, I like Celtic. And so I watch all their games, especially when they play Rangers. That's when you, you see at the intensity level, the World Cup will not be any more intense than an old firm game. It mm-hmm. won't. So he's already shown he's got the medal for that. But I think that he actually fits in with the way that they play. You mentioned the two right-back thing. That's true. But Greg Berhalter wants to play out of the back. He wants to play a a possession-based attacking style of soccer. And CCV is a big guy and a strong guy, but he is calm Mm -hmm. on the ball. Deceiving he's cool as a cucumber, food for right? For his, yeah, uh, for he kind of looks like he's flat-footed. He doesn't look like he's playing on his toes, but he never seems to be caught unawares. He's always, he doesn't fall asleep, but he's he's calm on the ball. I'd like to see him in this system,
2: and I think that kind of works in his favor as well because the US. I don't, I honestly don't think the US care who they play. I think they're always going to want to dominate the ball every time. Every time they step on the field, they're going to be playing England. They're going to be playing really good teams here, but I don't think they're going to try and bunker in and hit them on the counter. And that works well for CCV. I mean, Celtic, most games we play, what is it, 40-odd games, 38 games a season, you'd say they probably have over 60% possession in a lot of those games. So mm-hmm. the centre-backs are having to play a lot with the ball. So that's probably something that Greg Berhalter's seen. And with the hole at the back, with obviously the Miles Robinson injury, kind of seems like he would slot right in. So hopefully he gets a bit of a run out and see. Other players, I mean, I'm excited to see Brendan Aronson as well. Uh,
0: I think about to be on a 30 million yeah. pound transfer to Leeds. it to sounds Leeds. No like no they're saying that
2: he's going to play number 10 at Leeds. Uh, uh, it's most of what i've seen him for the u.s men's national team he's been playing off the wing yeah so maybe with these games nothing really to win or lose It can kind of tram out in the 10 see how that works see who's in front of him, maybe jesus ferrer and other people in off the wing so there's a lot of different moving parts that can kind of change before it gets to november december time so Interested to see what lineups are throw, thrown out and uh, who can kind of step up.
1: Other thing I'm excited to see, guys, is how this, how interesting this MLS summer transfer window gets with players around the world fighting yeah. for spots on their mm-hmm. national team rosters. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: we, we don't know where Jean-Luc Abusio is going to end up. For example, is he going to stay with uh, Venezia Vene- yeah. or is he going to move on? Yeah. Um, Hey, and we got to mention Eric Palmer Brown. Yes. He's yep. going to be fighting for that spot yep. at center back as well, and he's been playing really well in France. Got a chance to chat with him for a while when he was in town for the home game a couple of games ago against the Houston Dynamo. But it's coming up on Sunday. Folks, if you don't have your tickets, get them. Um, and you can still get tickets because U.S. soccer held on to a lot of them until the last minute. They've been released. You, uh, you can get your tickets now to go see the United States men's national team and I think a lot of what it's going to look like when it comes to the World Cup in Qatar that's just a few months away, if you can believe that. So, again, uh, tomorrow night, USA versus Morocco at 630 Central Time. And then on Sunday, the United States taking on Uruguay at 4 o'clock at Children's Mercy Park. Hopefully it's going to be a great day for soccer, and that's going to do it for us. For Grant Wall for joining us, for Connor McCourt and Allie Trost, this is Nate Katie saying thanks for listening to the Sporting Kansas City Show, and we'll see you next time.